Welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingue, where our mission is to unite the Black and Brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. The vision of Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Thank you for joining us again today. I am Lisette Jacobson, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Maurice McDavid. I'm your other host. We are ecstatic today uh, because we have some very special guests. This is a part two or a continuation of our most recent episode, What's Love Got to Do With It? And so if you've not had a chance to listen to that, ooh, okay, we got some background saying, kill it. You better kill it, Lissette. You better. Uh, so we've, we've um, uh, but if you haven't had a chance to listen to that first episode, we'd invite you to go back and listen to it. Uh, but if not, it's okay if you join us in the middle of the conversation. Um, we have with us some very special guests. Lisette, I'll let you introduce your guest first. Yeah, and, and before we get started, I do want to point out that I think at every episode, we're super excited, we're ecstatic, and it just really shows that we love what we do. We really do experience a lot of joy uh, doing this podcast. I feel like just for me personally, uh, a lot of good has come out of this, but We'll talk about that at a later time. I am ready to introduce mi amor, lindo, bello, el más guapo, Brett Jacobson, mi lindo esposo. How you doing, baby? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. And I am going to introduce my beautiful wife. Now, I, whenever I say my beautiful wife, uh, my pastor always makes a joke and he says, well, I'm glad you didn't introduce your ugly one. Right. Uh, but I don't have an ugly wife. I only have a beautiful wife. Hermosa. And uh, that is uh, Mrs. Samantha R. McDavid, uh, the one and only uh, Samantha Robin. Um, and uh, they don't need to know my whole government name, <laughs> but I'm glad to be here tonight. So where did they learn that from? Where did Sam get that? You know, I've heard that before. They don't need to know my government name. Did you pick that up from being with Maureen? <laughs> well, when I see um, that's one of those things that that really brought us together, right, is that uh, we both have a, a uh, innate distrust of the government. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get started. I, I, I first, uh, I think I'm a little biased because Samantha's my friend and she is very beautiful. And I'm just so excited to um, hear what she has to say. So why don't we get started with my first question, Sam. Was Maurice um, your first relationship and was he your first or only uh, relationship with someone uh, of color? Um, that is easy to answer. Maurice was my first relationship. 
And so being my first and only relationship, he was my first relationship with somebody of color as well. Although I did like this boy before him in eighth grade, but he didn't like me back. And he was, he was pretty cute. He was brown. Oh, okay. I know who she's talking about. And <laughs> Don't say his name. No, I won't say his name, but I will just say uh, <laughs> it makes me a little uncomfortable that she thought both of us was cute because he was ugly and I'm good looking. So anyways, that's wow. neither here nor there. Okay, so then what was that like? Did you think of it like... I am crushing on this African-American kid or was it just another person that you were attracted to? Um, at the time, I didn't think about it really at all. Maybe that was some naivety, I think, on my part. Um, Maurice was the funny kid like he is still. He was cracking jokes all the time. We had a lot of classes together in middle school. Into high school, we had um, we were both in math and language arts and gym together. So I saw him a lot throughout the day. And so it was his personality that first attracted me to him. He was talking about this other kid. He wasn't, he hadn't really grown into himself in middle school. He was still in an ugly duckling stage. So it wasn't really his uh, physical appearance. <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> his personality. Stop looking at me and talking to the <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's great. So then... Um, when did you become aware of the dynamic, you know, the racial dynamic between the two of you? The first time that I really, well, actually it was really soon after we, it was before we were dating, um, a little bit. It was when I still liked him. My friend gave him my number at the end of the school year in the gym. Everyone was signing yearbooks and, he called me like a week after school was out. And the one of the questions he asked me was, so black people have BET. Do y'all have a, a WET? <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't even know how to respond. So, but, but then he didn't call me back the rest of the summer. He actually ghosted me. So then freshman year of high school, we kind of reconnected and I didn't really, though, think about it until, honestly, he came to my house for dinner. My mom said if I was going to have a boyfriend, she had to meet him first. And I was sitting right there when she told him, when I found out you were black, I wasn't very excited. And I feel like I just, my whole countenance just kind of fell because I didn't really know even what to say to that. Mm. So, so let me jump in here uh, and and... Brett, we're going to do a cross-examination here, okay? Um, you know, I know uh, Lissette has shared uh, s some of uh, the story of, of you all, um, but I don't know that I've ever got a chance to hear it from your perspective. So, Brett, fill us in. Just tell us when you, like, like when you first saw her or when was that moment that you was like, I'm going to ask her out. Tell us a little bit about that history. And uh, again, this is Black, Brown and Bilingue. From the jump, was her as a Latina or did you even know that she was Latina? Because I've said before in previous episodes, I did not initially know. Anyways, did you know she was Latina? Did that impact your thinking? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so the first time I ever saw her, uh, both of us were uh, community advisors at Northern. Uh, I had been working at Neptune Hall, 
and it was over winter break. Uh, she was not on my staff for the fall semester. And so I had spent, I think, two weeks uh, alone uh, in the dorms waiting for the spring semester to start. And I knew we had a new staff member coming, coming along. Oh, did you? For the spring semester, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So anyway, I'm in my, I'm in my probably shorts and a Zelda t-shirt and flip-flops. <laughs> and we walk down to a staff meeting. Like it's, it's the time when the semester is about to start and uh, the staff is getting together to prepare for the spring training. And I remember uh, her sitting by the fireplace at Neptune and just seeing her. She had short hair at the time. Oh, it was a bad haircut. <laughs> and uh, I just introduced myself or that we met. That's how we met. So we were on the same staff. We were coworkers, technically. Scandal. So what did you think, though? You were cute. I had a terrible haircut, y'all. This was back when, like, Rihanna's umbrella was out. And I went to the place to go get my haircut. And I ended up not with Rihanna umbrella hair, but with like a Karen speak to the manager haircut. It was terrible. But by the time I met Brett, it had started to grow out. So it was a little bit of a bob. But you know what? Looking back, I'm glad you brought it up that I had short hair. If you loved me with that haircut, I know you'd love me with my locks. Thank <laughs> you. So, so Brett, fast forward a little bit, um, you know, um, to that point in which you all have now been dating for a little bit and, and she is going to meet your family. Um, what was that experience like? What was going through your head? What were you worried was going through her head or maybe what were you worried about was going through your family's head um, at the time? Well, technically, she she did meet my mom first. Uh, we were in the city, and my mom uh, was working downtown. And for some reason, we went to the place she, my mom was working at, and she met her very briefly there. And honestly, I wasn't really thinking much about it. I was just meeting my mom. Uh, then I think maybe a few weeks later, a couple of weeks later, we brought her brought her to my house to have dinner with my mom, my brother, or my mom and dad, my... That's it? Oh, it was just mom? Mm-hmm. It was just your mom and dad. Were you nervous at all? Not that I remember. It, it's, it's interesting because Samantha has often said that race just wasn't a topic. It wasn't a conversation. And so until that moment in which her mom said that to me it was not something that she was really aware that her mom had an opinion about um you know growing up brett do you remember that being a part of the conversation was it something that was talked about um because i think that perhaps is like for me i know that like when i thought about bringing home a you know quote-unquote white girl i knew that there was uh that there were certain implications, certain certain things that were going to come along with that. Was that something that, that crossed your mind at all, or was that a conversation that you all had? No, that really didn't come up growing up. 
My uh, my parents didn't uh, really have any issues about that. I've always thought of it as um, well. I shouldn't say I always have. More recently, I have thought about the the idea that what a privilege it is, what white privilege it is to not have to talk about or think about race within ed- everyday settings, because it is something that I know Maurice and I talk about a lot with our children. That and it's conversations that I never had growing up. Like I, yeah, like Maurice said, I didn't even. I really had no idea that my mom would react that way at all. It was, I was really shocked at the time. So was I. And 14, I didn't know even how to address it, to be honest. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have any kind of experience to be able to say, you know, have a rebuttal at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and for those of the people out there who may or may not have listened to the first part of this conversation, Brett's description, hearing him talk about it is so polar opposite of what I was feeling when I pulled up to his house, getting ready to, you know, meet his parents and have a sit down dinner where my ethnicity was all I could think about. And the fact that I was walking into a white household and not knowing what to expect, you know, and so hear him, you know, kind of simplistically say, and no, we didn't think about it. It was no big deal where for me, it was like this huge Huge deal. It just really highlights kind of the point that you're making, Samantha, that there is a little bit of privilege um, when not, when you don't have to think about it. Now, you also brought up your children, which is like the perfect segue. How do you think um, being a biracial, bicultural uh, household differs um, with how you grew up? Um, well, like I said, I think that race is something that we talk about often with our children, um, because there have, you know, we have seen, or I have seen with, with my children, kind of them trying to, to find where they belong, um, as, as biracial children, Um, They compare themselves to their white family, to their black family. They know what they have similar, what they have different. And I think they know in some ways they're not fully like either one, but they do um, identify as black. And I think that we have we've tried to make sure that they take pride in who they are and where they come from. Um, But I will say as a as a white mom of of biracial children, I'm always aware of how people are. I'm always aware of what people are thinking. So depending on where I'm at, there's a little bit of impression management that goes on. I think that I try to do to, to um, change how people perceive me. So depending on where we're at, if we are, um, if we're in a store and I see other black families around me. I want to make sure my kids are behaving because I don't want to be that white mom that has kids that aren't behaving. I don't want to be that like, oh, white people. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. I also am very aware of what, what my children are wearing and if their hair is done. Hair is such a big thing in the black community in general. But then on top of it, there's like this extra layer of white mom with little black babies that don't have their hair done looking homeless. And I just, I don't want my children to have to deal with that. Um, 
I do, I do have add, biracial cousins. I do want to add, though, Samantha, stop. Yeah. Um, you keep your baby's hair late, okay? I'm going to put that in there. You do your thing. Well, thank you, but this quarantine's been rough. <laughs> let, 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 allow me to say, it makes me so happy. It makes me so happy that that my wife has thought it important enough to take time. I've watched her follow people on Instagram and watch YouTube videos and she does her thing dizzle and it makes me happy. It is, it increases my, the tokens in my love bank for her because she, she, because I, I, you know, I grew up where children are that representation, you know, they're a representation of your family. And, and, um, and so I, you know, that, that, like it or love it or, or you know, whatever. I, I do think about like, yes, I want my children to be presentable. And uh, my wife does just a tremendous job. By the way, I, I do tend to do most of the laundry around here. And so <laughs> that's my contribution to them being presentable. I don't want somebody to get on here and start commenting. Oh, so you make your wife do all. No, that's not what I'm saying. Calm down. Okay. So, so, um, you all have two little boys. So, you know, Brad, you're, you're, you're not necessarily, you know, doing hair, right? Um, although I do love those videos of the dads that can do hair and stuff. Um, you know, in the way that you all are raising um, your boys, Lissette has mentioned in the past just that importance of, uh, of bilingualism, biculturalism. What role do you think you get a chance to play in that as the person coming from, you know, quote unquote, dominant culture? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, when Matt, when our oldest was very little, I tried to make it very intentional. I would speak to him in Spanish because at the time I was uh, staying at home with him. And by the time he was three, he, he knew quite a few words but just life got in the way and I couldn't keep up with it, unfortunately. Um, I will, I do want to say though, it was my idea <laughs> to name him Maximino or Maximiliano. <laughs> Why? I like to keep, to just have him have a, a Spanish name. Well, that's, that's also in my family tree, but my mom did not think too fondly of the person. <laughs> <laughs> And we actually landed on Maxwell. Got it. But I so, will say, Brett, Brett did get on me about speaking Spanish to the boys. Um, he definitely pushes, even till this day, pushes that. He'll turn on uh, Spanish music. In fact, over the holiday, you know, I love my Christmas music. And <laughs> I come downstairs and he's listening to Christmas songs in Spanish. So he is always the one showing. And I think that's critical because like you said, Maurice, he is part of that dominant culture. And so to see, for the kids to see their dad, not only trying to speak Spanish, but encouraging them, I think is really, really important. With the little one. I, I agree. The little one, we try, I try and have him, uh, you know, he's not in school yet, but he we try and make him think he's in school and make him watch educational shows so yeah it's it's uh, I, because you know and i i know that certainly 
language is, is, is part of it. Um, but I think there's the culture piece too. And so Brett, you know, and one of the times of us hanging out, you uh, showed us the, this awesome family tree that you have, you know, that your family's put together and everything going back. And so, you know, I think that there are times where this conversation of biculturalism um, really can turn into like hyper-focused on the culture of the person of color. Um, and I understand that because um, again, everywhere else in the world that they're going to interact is going to focus uh, largely on, you know, like for example, the school system is, is white middle-class culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think looking specifically at some of the things um, that are in your family tree, is there any of that that you try to bring to the children as well? Again, kind of emphasizing this idea that they do have two places now, um, two cultures that they can pull from and identify with. I'll be honest. No, not really. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, Brett really pushes, I think, probably sometimes more than me, the Mexican side. And I have tried to also bring out like the military history of his family. It's fascinating. Brett's grandfather was in World War Two. And he was at Iwo Jima and it's just all fascinating. And we did um, inherit some of his uniforms and we, I've tried to explain it to Max and I've even put it on him. And, you know, this is Dada's because that's what we call him is Dada. And this is Dada's grandpa. And he was in the military like Dada was. And so I'm actually the one who tries to bring that out. And Brett does the opposite. That's really funny because Samantha at times will, you know, be upset about something, you know, like, I can't believe they did that, you know, and, and she's ready to march, you know, she's ready to put on her, her BLM, you know, shirt or something. And, and I'm like, Hey, Hey, can we calm down? You know, can we, can we just be cool? And, and, um, you know, but, but I think, uh, she has, she has, Really, um, and maybe I'll ask this question for for both of you all. Samantha, I feel like has really kind of um, crossed through what W.E.B. Du Bois called that that veil, right? That veil of of um, uh, uh, that separates the world of of living um, in in this world as a person of color versus perhaps you know, particularly in our country, living in this world as um, as a as a white person. Um, and I think Samantha has seen and experienced some things by being in a relationship with me that has opened her eyes to uh, some things that she did not previously know. And I don't know, Samantha, if you want to talk about that a little bit, you know, what your experience has been and then Brett, you as well. Um, yes, W.B. Du Bois speaks about a double consciousness that as a person of color living in a white dominant society whenever, whatever experiences you have, you're always looking at it from two perspectives, one of the dominant society, or what a lot of people just call normal, even though it's really not normal, because that's very othering. And then also from the perspective of a person of color. And so if you are in a restaurant or in a, uh, for example, in a a gas station with my son, 
And my son was joking around. He said, I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this. And I felt like after we left there, I had to talk to him. And I said, Ezekiel, you really can't joke around about stealing something because to be honest, as a little boy, a little brown boy in this world, people are already going to be more suspicious of you. And I, you know, you automatically think of Trayvon Martin and I, it, it scares me to death to think that somebody would hurt my son because he, you know, is brown and, and potentially or, or supposedly or, um, you know, someone thought he stole something or shouldn't be where he is. And so it, it is very, um, there are some things where you, you look at it or you experience it and you think, well, is, is this because my children are, are biracial or is this just because, you know, this old man was having a bad day. So he decided to scream at my son that he was going to call the police when he accidentally fell down and all of his papers scattered into his yard. And so these things that happen, it's hard to, 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 um, it's hard to ignore the racism that really is still there everywhere. What about you, Brent? Yeah, I definitely would agree. Uh, once you date or are in a relationship with a person of color, you really can't like not then think about it, right? Um, it's like you can't go back. It is like a veil is lifted over from from over your eyes. Um, I would totally agree with that. Switching topic. Um, is there anything or what do you think are like the most positive things that have come out of, you know, being in a biracial marriage? For example, uh, Maurice and I in part one talked about white privilege by proxy. Uh, what, what do you think are some of the positives or, you know, do you feel like this has enriched your life in any way? Aside from the fact that you love him, right? Um, you know, how has this dynamic impacted you? Uh, you want me to go first? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess touching on what I said, um, you know, a double consciousness or that, that kind of getting a glimpse behind the veil. Of course, I recognize that I will never fully know what it's like to live as a person of color in the United States. Um, but kind of that, that glimpse behind the veil really I, is, I, I mean, I count it as a, a blessing, if you will, in that I, I feel like I have a better understanding of the world that we're living in. Um, I am grateful that my children do have, um, you know, two cultures that they can count as their own. Um, and some of the some of the traditions that my husband's family has are wonderful, and I, I'm glad to be able to take part of in them. Um, I will say his family. I know he spoke a little bit about his mother's views, but from the beginning, his family, most of his family, really welcomed me and made me feel very welcome. I will not forget the time I went um, and met his cousin Yvette for the first time, and she said, "Ooh, well, at least you got yourself a pretty white girl." <laughs> And, um, you know, just that kind of that culture of joking and, and messing around, I really feel like they have welcomed me and I'm a part of that. Um, and I mean, there's, you know, some street cred sometimes that comes with it. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's roasted? some street cred people. What? Have you been roasted? Have they come for you? Oh, I definitely, yes, for sure. For sure. I've been roasted. Yes. Um, and I blush so easily. So 
his family knows too. And I've, I, I've been made fun of for it a few times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's some, you know, there's just these glimpses of, of other cultures being a part of something that's bigger than, than you and just what you know, I think is a blessing. I'm, I love it. I wouldn't trade it now. What about you, Brett? Um, what, what uh, benefits have you gained um, other than, of course, um, you know, um, having a, a lifelong partner? I mean, I definitely agree with this, the street cred uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> especially, especially since when I worked in, inside a Illinois Department of Corrections, um, working with mostly black and Latino inmates, um, as soon as they, as soon as they heard me speak Spanish or, or name a, uh, a Mexican singer that no white person would know, <laughs> then they, you, their, their demeanor definitely changed. Um, but besides having a partner, uh, I think going back to that, that, idea of lifting the veil of just knowing having this uh having this uh a fuller picture of another culture's experience any other perks well i don't want to just say latinos are only good for their food but (laughs) (laughs) honestly brett i was thinking the same thing i forgot to mention that there's some food that i have been introduced to that is really delicious and i will say a lot of people do love my macaroni and cheese now and it's all because of my mother-in-law she taught me how i've never heard of mole i've never heard of chipotle uh or tingle before uh dating lisette so it is there's one other thing i would add lisette that i just thought about i think that being married to a black man and having black children or biracial children does allow me in some ways, um, it gives me kind of a, not that I'm an expert, but I would say other white people are comfortable asking me questions. And I think that that is a benefit that because they're comfortable, I feel like maybe they're, they're, um, sense of the world is broadened also mm. and that they get a little more a deeper understanding of what it maybe is like for people of color especially people that don't have a wide um, variety of friends or re- other relationships within their family or friend circles they don't have people of color in their in their circles there's questions they have that they should not ask people of color because it's not up to people of color to necessarily educate them all the time but i do think that i have you know, I have white coworkers that are willing, they're, they're they feel comfortable asking me a question. And I'm, I'm okay answering some of their questions if I can. That's, that's a very good point. Another perk of, of uh, dating a Latina is just having a great, amazing, wonderful, like welcoming family uh, that I've had to, I've had the pleasure of having uh being with her i think my brother has a little bit of a bromance going on with them too they just they just love brett so much (laughs) and to see you guys interact is really nice because he could be a bit much but you just take it in stride (laughs) 
that that family piece uh, I have taken note um, is is huge. And I'll say from a broader perspective, I was working in, uh, as a principal in um, a largely Latino community or Latino school. That family piece has been huge and I have felt welcomed by, by the families in our building. But I'd say even um, just, you know, in my few passing interactions uh, with Lisette's family um, and, and the, some of the things she's shared with me um, uh, when, when uh, her father was ill earlier in the year and I, I just sent a voice prayer. Um, and, and so she tells me all the time, you know, oh, yeah, my mom asked, ¿Y, ¿y el negrito cómo está? And, you know, just, just some of those, those um, things, I think uh, there really is that, that family piece. I, yeah, you bring yeah, that up. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Um, my, my mom always says, ¿Y el negrito cómo está? Ay, ese negrito me cae muy bien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. So as we get ready to wrap this up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay. All right. So as we are getting ready to wrap things up, uh, Maurice and I usually end each episode with one final uh, thought that you would want the listeners to walk away with. It could be about absolutely anything. Um, and then we will end the episode. Sam, why don't you go ahead and go first? One final thing. I would say that when you are, as a a white person, when you are entering a relationship with a person of color or a person from another culture, I think that it's important that you realize that, especially in the United States, for people of color, their racial identity or their cultural identity, identity the, the linguistic identity of a bilingual person isn't something that can be separated from them and that it really is something that has impacted their life from the very moment that they were born. And so there are things that you won't necessarily understand, but just being um, open and being available to trying to understand, I think goes a long way in that relationship. Um, and I think especially when children enter into a relationship, an interracial or um, bicultural relationship, you have to be aware that your children are going to experience things differently than you have also. And that, again, that's a piece of their identity, especially in the United States, that isn't, it's not really, can't be separated out from who they are and their experience. And so being just open and knowing that you may never fully understand, but if you're there, you know, just being there for them, um, I think is really important. And that's, I guess, what I would say. I, I truly feel that uh, all of those old laws of, of banning inter, interracial marriage relationships, that really was just the stupidest thing to me. It's, uh, it's a travesty that that was a part of our country. I couldn't imagine not being able to have this relationship with her if, if I was born back then. Um, so I think we've come a long way, but obviously there's still light years of what we need to uh, obtain. And I think uh, the four of us are part of that, that equation. In terms of continuing this, uh, this mixing of people and showing it that we're only, we're just people. 
So let's have another baby. I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm like, <laughs> There's your BBB announcement for 2020. <laughs> All right, four. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Bert's face. <laughs> for black, brown, and bilingue, I am Lisette Jacobson. Wait, Lisette, we what? forgot to tell our listeners. Oh. This is our last episode of the season we want to say thank you so much to those of you that have been with us from the beginning july 3rd we dropped our first episode and we're going to bring season one to a wrap um and uh we've got some professional development we're working on we're super excited about that so you'll be hearing from us again soon and then uh season two will be getting started um, and uh, we, we're just we want to thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts um, to our faithful listeners. Um, and uh, if you haven't listened, go back, re-listen to the whole season. Yeah, we've got some really okay, good now. episodes. Yeah, we've we've got some really good episodes. So if this is the first one you happen to to hear. It is. Um, I think we're doing some really good things, kind of like what Brett said. That equation, because part of our mission too is uniting the black and brown communities. And so uh, we have some co-conspirators that we're married to. And um, I think that we will continue to do the good work. And like you said, Maurice, I'm excited about this professional development that we're working on and some other projects that we have talked about. So for Black, Brown, and Bilingue, I am one of your hosts, Lisette Jacobson. And, and thank goodness 2020 is over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your other host, Maurice McDavid. Muchas gracias for tuning in.